this is not a tough one for me, but this is one that I had to tell my wife about last night. It kind of hit my heart, and I am hoping to do justice to what God has placed on my heart this morning. It's amazing, and God has a strange way of providing confirmation in our lives. There's so many God dreams that we've been talking about with the church and in conversation lately. So many of those God dreams have come up in conversation, have come up in random places. Just almost God's way of tapping you on the shoulder and saying, what do you think confirmation feels like? I have a folder in my phone, and they are things that I know will probably be future sermons. And there's this title that I had, and this title, it's been there, and I wanted to run with it. Is it a slide? Did I make a slide for that? And I knew, this has got teeth. You know, I've been praying, God, where do you want this to go? What's the direction? What's the direction? You saw the for keeps in the beginning. Little backstory there, you know, that Hot Wheels that was up there. I had that van, and when I was young, a big thing that I did when I'd go to my grandmother's in the summer is the, the neighborhood kids, we all had Hot Wheels, and we'd trade, or we'd give them away. And you'd always say, you know, is this is just for now, or is this for keeps? And today I want to talk about for keeps. And so this title that I had of the country music song, I I knew what I wanted to see from it, but then God did something and he confirmed it. I was watching TV the other day and there was a celebrity on TV. Not going to name the celebrity. This is a celebrity right now that is getting a lot of attention because of the spiritual references in, in their music. And they said something, and it stuck with me. They were calling out the church for Americanizing Jesus. And I'm like, well, I've got to listen to this. Talking about taking the Jesus of the Bible and changing him. Accusing the church of doing just that. Made a statement and said, Jesus and the church are in danger of dying unless the church does a better job of portraying him. You know, and I'm sitting here, I'm like, ouch, ouch. Like, I got to hear more. Because I don't want to ever get to a place where we're so haughty that we don't listen to a world that's dying saying, like, what's wrong with the church sometimes? You got to listen to it. And sometimes it's going to be like, yeah, whatever. And other times it's going to be like, whoa, that hurt. Here was a quote, which I'm going to change a little, seeing the company that we're in. The same people that you're criticizing and going against are the only people that Jesus had a relationship with in the Bible. He goes on to talk about the very people that Jesus would protect. But here's where it got wild. Want to describe that if Jesus were here today, what we would see in saying that the 12 disciples were pretty much, they would be like thugs. Jesus were here today, him and his disciples would be riding on Harleys. I don't have anything against Harleys. But it hit me as this person was talking. 
As he was criticizing the church for hijacking Jesus, he hijacked Jesus to look more like what he wanted Jesus to look like. See, and here's the problem. Like, we can do that and we can talk a certain way, but at a certain point, when you start to change Jesus to look more like you, then he's not Jesus anymore. Right? He's not a pet project. He's not your protege. He's not, like, I can't tell him how he should be Jesus. I don't have that ability. We live in a society where there are so many versions, if you will, of Jesus, right? Like everybody says what Jesus should be, what they want to see from Jesus. Go on Facebook. You'll see Christians all day saying what Jesus should be. Well, here's my message to the world, and here's my message to the church. Stop trying to redefine Jesus. Because John 1.1 adequately tells me that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When it tells me that, it's telling me that the very Word that I have isn't just this book, but it's the living Word of God. And when it describes the Son of God, it describes Him to a T. And it doesn't leave it up for room for interpretation of how I think it should be, given whatever week I'm having. A couple of weeks ago, I read about our Declaration of Faith, right? We're part of a denomination. If you've gone through Grow Together, you know that we're part of the Church of God, and there's this Declaration of Faith. It's 14 points that are foundational to the beliefs that we hold as a church. It starts by saying this, we believe the whole Bible to be completely and equally inspired, and that it is the written Word of God. Where I am with the whole redefining Jesus thing, I would say I was offended, but that sounds like what the world uses as a term. I would call it a righteous anger that's rising up in me. And so I'm asking God, God, give me like you shed your light on what you want me to see. Most of the times when the redefining happens, it's done in a, well, let me tell you kind of way. Right? You ever notice this? I I mean, even in the church, like it gets lofty, it gets haughty, we get caught up in emotions. You know, during an election cycle, people get in their emotions and they start describing how Jesus should be, as if Jesus were running for office, right? As if he needs to campaign for us to like him more. If you're a believer, if you're sitting in this house and you say, I have asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart, then listen to this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Catch that last part? We're here on a temporary assignment, and it doesn't say walk around scared of everything, walking in fear and respect of who God is with every step that we take. When it comes to Jesus, you don't get to pick and choose. God means what God says. To walk in the fear of God means that we walk with such respect that we put Him first in everything. I grew up. And I went to school in the basement of a church. And we had these books, and they were called Paces. 
And in each one of these books, the first page would have the goals of what you were going to learn, and every one would have a verse. And this would be a verse for younger kids. Notice the ellipsis there. Like they're getting the word in these kids' heart where they would memorize it. And before you took a test or went any farther, you had to quote these memory verses. And the scripture got inside of me. And so if you ever hear me talk about a familiar passage of scripture, it probably started in these books. And the word, and I'm saying that too for every parent here, when you consistently place the word before your children, they're going to get it. Notice the word consistently. Put it before them. One of those verses that I cannot forget comes from Ezekiel chapter 44, verse 23. And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and profane and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. That word holy, the Hebrew word separate, set apart. I've heard it preached on so many times. And when I've heard it preached on, I've heard people before talk about the fact that holy means that God should be separate from what is common. And sometimes it'll stop there. But God hit me yesterday. God hit me as I'm trying to do some don't turn it into a country music song. And he squared me up. And as I'm reading, I'm going to tell you this. Get in your word. If you hear it preached at this church or any church, get in your word about it later. Right? I'm not going to stand here and I'm not going to say, because I'm trying to mislead you. What I'm saying is you need more depth than comes from me just sharing it with you. Dig into it. Dig into it. The context of the word when you read chapter 44, because that was in verse 23. I got to hold it together because I'm about to come undone when I get to the part that I'm going to come undone about. To the celebrity of the month, I would say Jesus will not die. Okay, I would tell him that right away. But to everyone else and to church itself, I would say, but the church needs to watch what the church is doing because there's no guarantee when it comes to churches. Now, listen to this. My friend Tim Walker posted a statistic last night that, again, confirmation, boom, where's that from? Read it. In January of 2020, look how many churches there were, 380,000 in the U.S. Look what the number has gone to. 244, 599. Let's bring it a little closer. Like if you have Google Maps, let's zoom it into the next one. How about Ohio? Don't mind the missing comma because it drives me crazy. But in 2019, there were 13,042. Now there are 10,454 churches. That is a 20% drop. Now, when you read that and you look at it, people could be like, yep. God's culling the herd. God's thinning it out. Yeah, that's one way to look at it. We, as God's people, can get mad about this because we can be like, what has happened to the church that was once so powerful? What has happened to the church that once had sway in so many areas of society? What happened to businesses being closed on Sunday? No liquor sales on Sunday. No sports on Sunday. What has happened to that? The church needs to step up, and I would agree a thousand percent on that. But when you look at these figures... There's something that might be even sadder than churches closing. 
that word holy? When you read chapter 44 of Ezekiel, the very first thing, it says in verse 1, then he, God, brought Ezekiel back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, and it faces the east, but it was shut. And verse 2 says, the Lord said to me, this gate shall be shut. It shall not be opened. No man shall enter by it, because the Lord God of Israel has entered by it. Therefore, it's going to be shut. Right off, it's talking about the holy nature of God. And when God passes through a place, that place gets wrecked in the best ways. There are places in your life and there are some doors that you so easily used to walk through that by the power of Jesus Christ, you can't go through that door anymore. There is a holiness when it comes to God and a respect that the things that have to do with him, I'm not even worthy to walk in those footsteps. Let's just close that gate up and let's remember what happened there. And it goes on though, and it says this, God begins to call out the Levites. God begins to call them out because they were entrusted with the things of God, but they had compromised. They were called to hold a standard, but God pretty much tells them, you let the world in. They allowed the things that weren't of God not only in, but they allowed them in the places where it should never go. And verse 8 says this, and I'm going to read it to you, and I want you to put a little mental check mark because we're coming back there. Coming back. I remember that press secretary that we're going to circle back. We're going to circle back, and we're going to do it in a good way. Verse 8 says, And you have not kept charge of my holy things, but you have set others to keep charge of my sanctuary for you. Talking about those who were entrusted, he said, and the Levites who went from me when Israel went astray, they strayed away from me after their idols, they shall bear their iniquity. We have been entrusted, and we have been entrusted in a way that we are not to follow society and bow for what society bows for. We are not exempt. We do not sit on this pedestal because of who we think we are. Because if the very people that were called to be Levites in God's house could fall for it, we need to walk in a way of guarding our hearts. They bowed as the world bows. When God's speaking to the Levites that compromise, here's something that hit me. Read the Old Testament and read how God dealt with disobedience. It was not pretty. It was often swift. It was take no prisoners. Here's where this hit me and it rocked me. And I sat in Starbucks and I was just like, God, Forgive me for not being what you need me to be in every single season. If I have ever taken this lightly in any scenario, check me. It says in verse 11 about the Levites who were disobedient. You may think, and God struck them down, but it says, yet 
they shall be ministers in my sanctuary as gatekeepers of the house and ministers of the house. They shall slay the burnt offering and the sacrifice for the people, and they shall stand before them to minister to them. And I had to read that again. Because I'm like, wait, they did wrong, and then, then it says this. In verse 12, it says, God raised his hand in an oath against them. And it goes on to say, they would do what they did, but it would be done in shame. It would be done in iniquity. It would be done under the burden of their abomination. Verse 13 says, and they shall not come near me to minister to me as a priest, nor come near any of my holy things, nor into the most holy place. What this says to me, church, is that it is entirely possible for a church to function in a limited capacity that to those looking in from the outside may think that it's business as usual. My Lord, what if disobedience means retaining position but having no power? This is a reality, and I say it to each one of us because we have been entrusted with such great things. To the untrained eye looking in, those who may be walking with that on them because of their disobedience of stewardship, that may go unnoticed, but I would say for a season. Because when push comes to shove, something's going to be missing. And it's going to be the power of God and access to the power of God. And I know this seems like a heavy thing that I'm saying, but if you get that in your spirit, what that says to me is that we can collectively not do what God calls us to do. And yet we could come together every Sunday and it could just feel good, but it'll never feel great. And it'll never go to the places God has called it to go. Verse 15, check this out. But. The priests, the Levites, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, listen to what it says about them. They shall come near me to minister to me. I love all of you, but I'm here for Jesus. They shall stand before me to offer the fat and the blood, says the Lord. They shall enter my sanctuary, and they shall come near my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. But when it describes those priests that would do that, God's very clear, and he describes they're going to look different. What they're going to wear is going to be different. The way their appearance is going to be different. Talks about the fact that they won't drink any wine because they've called been called to a higher standard, and I could preach for an hour on that one right there, but the fact that you're not going to do what the world does. If you want to go to the deepest places of God, you can't do what the world does and expect it to be that way. It comes down to their relationships. It comes down to who they spend time with on a regular basis, who's influencing them, those people that they call their birds of a feather. It's not about trying to look like the world and try to stumble into God's house and hope the power will be there. It's a deliberate thing from the moment they got up to the moment they went to bed. 
being set apart means access to the presence. Here's something that I, I kind of, it hit me though. When it comes to the devil, often we've been led to believe that when the devil tries to influence you, that it's going to feel super dark and super creepy and your like spiritual spidey sense is going to be like going off and you, you just know. Would it not be possible for the devil just to provide as much false peace as he can in the life of a believer who is called to more? It says in James 4.14, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Do you know what I would call that, Pastor Nip? I would call that temporary. My time here is temporary. And if the devil, like think about that. You don't think that the devil has the power to influence the temporary? Could he not walk beside you for your entire Christian walk and whisper compromise to you and tell you that you're okay and tell you you don't need to reach farther? He could do that because I think that he's into the long-term plan sometimes like that and how sad would it be to get to heaven before God and God say wasn't it nice that you got to go in my house that you got to minister to my people that you got to do the things that you wanted to do but I was calling you to walk beside me to go into the holy of holies to see things that you only dreamed about seeing but the compromise was there and why was that I don't want his temporary false peace. I mean, don't you think that the devil has the ability to applaud you for doing 20% of what you're capable of? You know what I'm reminded of? Nutty professor. The mom's sitting at the table with the little boy with Hercules, Hercules, like the devil walking beside me, whatever I do. Oh, look at him. You know, he went to church three weeks in a row. Hercules, Hercules. When God's saying, rise up in your calling, man. Like God's saying, I'm calling you to such a high purpose that it would freak you out if I told you all of it, but get positioned for where I want you to go next. And the devil's like, no, this is cool. Let's stay here. And which one's going to feel better? Be honest. Which one, when you're about to take a leap of faith, feels better? It's probably the one saying, no, you don't have to jump. Here's a reality. This war doesn't end the moment that I walk in this sanctuary. If there is a spiritual battle, you don't get a day off. You fight, you go for it, you do what you're called to do. As a result, it says about those priests that were obedient. And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the profane. And cause them to discern between the clean and the unclean. So you notice that. Did you catch it? Did you catch the wording? And they will teach my people the difference between the holy and the common. Church, it is time to see it for what it is. Like It is time to stop playing patty cake when it comes to the things of the world that are flat out evil. 
It's time to quit playing patty cake when the world has an agenda to conquer. They are not looking out for the church. It's time to call the profane the profane and quit walking toward it. Quit sitting beside it. Quit acting like it's a part of your life that you can deal with. Because when you let the devil get a foothold, you cannot control how high he's going to climb. You don't get that say. Everywhere the people went, those guys, they stood out. Every single place. Have you ever just needed a day off? Have you ever just wanted to blend in? Have you ever just said, you know, and you may not have said it out loud, not going to admit to saying it myself because I'm a pastor, but have you ever had a day when you're just like, God, if we could just not, not have any emergencies today, that'd be cool. Right? I could just binge watch whatever on Netflix and there'd be no spiritual warfare today. That would be cool. It's not how it works. But that verse I needed to double back on. You haven't kept charge of my holy things, but you've set others to keep charge of my sanctuary for you. See, the issue wasn't that they let things slide It's that they had subcontracted out what they had been called to do. For too long, the church has let the world make the call. And do you know with those numbers that were up there about church closings, do you know how many churches are in the midst of compromise in order to keep people on their pews? Do you know how many places have changed the gospel as if it's evolving? I've heard churches, well, it's always evolving. Oh, is it? No, it's not. The ink's dry. It is where it is. We're not going, like, you look at societal things. Here's what's amazing. Yesterday, I met with some men. We were talking about boys' ministry. And a paper, we were looking at this paper, and it was talking about some of the challenges to ministry to young men. And it was from 10 years ago. And we were saying, wow, isn't it amazing how things have probably changed? These numbers have gotten worse. But do you know one of the things in a 10-year span that was not on that sheet? Gender and sexuality. If there is something that society has fast-tracked on, it is that very thing. And it's the very thing when I talked about the devil being a copycat with his false peace. The devil knows that you were made in the image of God. What could be worse and a more slap in the face to a holy God than saying, I am going to make people question the very power that they were made in, the very role that they were made to be in. This, when you talk about society, these are things that are at the forefront. And I will guarantee this, the Bible has not changed in the stance that it has. If it's holy, call it holy. If it's not holy, profane is the word that's used here. In controversy, it goes on to say, they shall stand as judges and judge it according to my judgments. They shall keep my laws and my statutes in all my appointed meetings, and they shall hallow my Sabbath. That's a lot. If there were times that seem more controversial in the world's eyes, it's now. 
the church can do one of three things. One, it can become one of the numbers in the bottom column that it's no longer in business. Two, it can compromise to have a club of the happy. You know I'm picking three. Three is stand on the word of God. Get called whatever the church may get called, but to be a lighthouse and a beacon to the hurting. Because here is something that I can tell you. Having had many youth group babies over the years, having ministered to many, that when things fly and when things get dark, those who may have said the church messed them up so much, do you know where they run to? Because they know the power. We can't let the world make the call. It doesn't get that right. But when the church forfeits, it makes the call. So many churches have come to believe that if they're not responsive to society, then who's going to take care of us, right? If we're not responsive, then nobody will show up. They'll go to the church down the street that's going to preach them happy no matter how they're living. And they're going to do this or they're going to do that. But the idea that with this is the world doesn't take care of the church. And the church will die if it hands the keys to the kingdom that have been entrusted to it to the enemy. Don't forfeit the authority. Not pursuing holiness. It means promoting what's profane here's a thing just be real so Siegfried and Roy you remember them one day I had gone away we'd gone away for a weekend me and my wife I turn on the TV and Roy had gotten bit by a tiger I'm just sitting there And my reaction was like, that's terrible. But there was no shock. Because Roy hung out with tigers and lions like they weren't tigers and lions. And so my question to you as the church is, is what lions are you cuddling up with? My question when it comes to the church is if someone lately hasn't checked you in a way because they see the Jesus coming off of you, then what's going on? If there hasn't been an uncomfortable moment in your walk lately, are we walking according to the ways that God wants us to? Or are we just flowing with the world? The last thing, because I got to I got to land this thing, Eric. When it comes to the anointing, you think about the anointing and the way that it works. Give me a slide. Yeah, that was probably a good point I should have made. Samuel's going down the line. Samuel has that horn of oil. It's not like the syrup bottles at Cracker Barrel. 
It's a horn of oil. And as he gets to the end of that line, and God's checked him, and God's said, not that one, but God, not that one, but God, look how tall this dude is. No one's ever said that about me. But God, and he gets to David and cracks open that anointing oil. And it wasn't just like a brill cream, a little dabble, do you? It wasn't a sprinkle. He poured it. And he didn't pour it in a gentle way. It, it messed up his hair and it rolled and it got in his face and it got in his eyes and it got on his clothes and it probably ruined those clothes. And it didn't stop there, but it flowed down all around him, telling me this, that he wasn't able to even walk away from that spot the way that he walked in or he would have fallen on his face. And so the anointing changed everything from that moment on. And I guarantee that when he walked away, you saw the tracks of oil as he went away. The anointing that has been placed on the church as stewards of God's holy things in this season is not something to be taken lightly. This is not an us or them thing. This is a God thing is what it is. You double down on the things of God. You speak the truth in love and you walk in the anointing. And at the point when the enemy asks you, can I borrow your keys? Square him up. If you will stand, I want to pray. And what I want to pray is this for a realization of the authority that has been put upon each of us. For God to check some hearts and to say, where do you want me to step it up? Where have I been okay with the devil's clapping Hercules at my 20% and where's he calling me to step up? Let's bow our heads, church. Father in the mighty matchless name of Jesus Christ. I speak your purpose over this body. I pray for God reminders to be so strong right now. And Lord, for what has been entrusted to us, let us white knuckle destiny as we go forward for you. May the things that are holy, God, be promoted. And Lord, may the things of this world never affect what we do for you. I speak revival in every heart. I speak it over every mind. And Father, what I say right now is for every lion that has crept into every house and us thinking we're just going to cuddle, God, let us show at the door at this point. Whether it be the lions that have cuddled up against our kids or the lions that have cuddled up in our living room, get them out of here right now, Lord. Shine your light and let it be your house, Father. Let it be a place of holiness and don't let it be a place of compromise in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.